There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to you now. What you're doing down here, you're man. Hello everybody, you're all very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Owen here with Ken and Murph. Hi there, guys. Hello there, Owen. The FA Cup trophy, once the most prized possession in the English game, now essentially functions as a sort of farewell gift from managers about to get the sack. Antonio Conte said after the game on Saturday he does not expect this victory to make any difference to the club's decision on whether or not to let him see out the last year of his contract. Neither does Willian, one of his players, judging by his reaction to the win. The Chelsea forward was left out of the starting lineup. Subsequently put up an Instagram post after the game. One of these group shots, squad shots, Chelsea oh, FA Cup winners nice. 2018, all the starters, all the non-starters, all the all the banner staff, and all the rest. In yeah. front of the banner, yeah, yeah, FA Cup winners, all that kind of stuff and there they all are all looking very happy with themselves, including the staff. Big day for the staff as well. Of course. Both the backroom people you don't know about. And, of course, the main man himself, the much, the man who's brought much success to the club, mm-hmm. Antonio Conte. Unfortunately, you don't actually see Conte in this picture because William has covered him up with a series of trophy emojis. Is um, it to say that Antonio Conte is a trophy A serial trophy machine? winner? Maybe you it know, is. That, like, uh, he, is, he has, in fact, transformed himself into a trophy. <laughs> yeah, he's I, won so many trophies that he's become that which he loves so much. Context is all important here, Murph. If William had played and scored the winning goal and wasn't yeah. being linked with their <laughs> opponents at the weekend, Manchester United, next season, I would probably go with that explanation. But I prefer to agree with the description I saw. A thinly veiled shot. At the manager. <laughs> How is it veiled? <laughs> it's not, I would imagine there's no veil on there at all, Ken. Um, what do you make of it? Well, I don't really understand uh, what, how Antonio Conte managed to fall out with William. This is the, this is the part that, that is most difficult to understand. Because who, who would fall out with William? He is like the most agreeable player. I, th- I mean, who has... Can you think of a more humble, selfless, hard-working team player than William? No, he is all of those, all of the above, yeah. So <laughs> what's the problem with it? I mean, okay, at least Diego Costa, who Conte previously fell out with in a spectacular way, uh, is, you know, 
a, a difficult character. A combustible character. He's an abrasive character. He uh, he sometimes uh, creates conflict uh, where there doesn't appear to be much potential for it. Sure. So I can I can sort of understand how that happened, and I can understand how it happened with David Luiz, who you know is a player who in many ways is deeply annoying for whoever is supposed to be in charge of organising the defence. Um, and, okay, I can see how they fall out. But William, what's William done? I mean, apparently William was angry to be substituted against Southampton last month and sort of stomped away. And that was it. I mean... That's pretty standard. For must, can I, I want my player to look disappointed after he's been substituted. Well, apparently... Apparently, Antonio Conte doesn't. So I am surprised by that because I honestly thought that William is like. I even said something about him today, and I was writing in a different context about uh, the, the, he is linked with Manchester United yeah. um, because Jose Mourinho loves him because he's the only player I can think of who actually has all the qualities you need to be a. Uh, an effective winger in a Jose Mourinho team. I know you'll be too humble to read out your own article, Ken. So I'm going to. Well, I wasn't too humble to mention it, Owen. No, but you've, you've, but if you've got up. in front of you, then. So those qualities are the humility of a Buddhist monk in the body of an elite long distance runner. Yeah. Sharp right this morning. Are Buddhist monks even that humble? I guess so. Ah, they are, yeah. I mean, it's about the denial of, of self or, or to evolve beyond the illusion of self, yeah. right? And William seems like a player who has has done that some time ago. He just is the team. He's just a team player. But in this instance, it turns out that, in fact, he, he does have some of the same uh, issues that a lot of footballers have. Yeah. Get a little bit uh, fed up listening to Antonio Conte. <laughs> and uh, looks like he'll be one of those who will be happy to see the back of Conte, whether it's Conte leaving or William leaving. We're going to be building up to Liverpool's Champions League final all week on the World Service. And after that... The 2018 World Cup in Russia will be up to the highest standards. Soccer is popular. From bottom of my heart, thank you. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man leaves it for dead. Dennis Bergkamp let the ball in! Dennis Bergkamp! Dennis Our coverage of the 2018 World Cup in Russia will also be up to the highest standards. We'll be bringing you daily World Cup podcasts direct into your World Service feeds. It's daily World Cup podcasts. If you like football and you like podcasts and you like hearing Ken Erdy's travelogues from major tournaments, well, there's no better time to sign up on secondcaptains.com. He always gets into any number of hilarious scrapes on this. Yes, so I can guarantee more Ken Early. World Cup scrapes. Russian scrapes might have a different flavour to them than <laughs> scrapes in other European countries. Please don't so we'll get into see. a Russian scrape, Ed. Let's report on some sport, please, Ken. I thought, Russian scrape. I thought I was waking up to a scrape this morning, actually, when I saw that I had a message from an Airbnb host. In oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to be seeing them so close. I thought they were about to say, sorry, fans found a higher, higher price, higher bidder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, they were saying, oh, just, uh, just remember... Uh, when you call uh, to get picked up at the airport, just remember you have to get your bags and stuff first and you have to be waiting outside because they don't let cars, you know, hang out around outside the airport for longer than like 10 minutes at a time. 
That's oh. very nice. So I said, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Absolutely, that's You're getting fine. collected at the airport. I am. I'm getting collected at the airport. I, By your Airbnb I'm host. assuming it's all, it's all just normal and it's all good. Wow. That's really nice. Yeah. Why wouldn't you presume? Presume the best of people, Ken. If you don't hear from me after the 23rd of June... <laughs> Well, let let the uh, let this anecdote be your uh, obituary. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where are we? Uh, what were we? Oh yes. Well, we obviously have to start in Portugal. Uh, I won't say I won't that I was paying a lot of attention to the Portuguese cup final, uh, but I did start getting messages uh, yesterday evening <laughs> from uh, second captain's listeners who had. After listening to last week's Sporting Lisbon Bruno de Carvalho chat, uh, started betting on Aves, the team that Sporting Lisbon were playing in the Portuguese Cup final. They were 6-1, to one, Owen, and they've only gone and brought the cup home. 2-1. Uh, with Bastos, whose head was wounded in the attack by the Sporting Lisbon Ultras. Our Monday-only listeners won't even have a clue what you're talking about here, Ken. Well... You know, a brief synopsis, 30 seconds maybe? Do they, they, they deserve a 30-second synopsis. It, we, it, it, Sign up to the World Service for the, for the whole shebang. It was about a 30-minute story. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what happens when you, when you put somebody, when you elect a president who isn't necessarily playing with the same deck of cards as everyone else. You know, over time, things start to get a little bit heightened. Uh, people start to get the wrong idea about things. The president goes on Facebook and says, these players should all be... They should all be suspended. They should all be kicked out of the club. And um, some people, some ultras, decide to literally go around and kick the players out of the club. Or kick the players around the club. Yeah, attacking them. So they attacked the players, they attacked the manager. And, you know, it was a very difficult situation for sporting because so many of the players and staff suspected that the attack had been organized by the president, that there was a sort of a certain element of distrust, mistrust, suspicion. Mm. It was an inside job. Deni- denied by him, of course. De- well, denied by him, but, you know, it's not... It's not so, the, I think his credibility has become a, has become a real issue here. His, his, his credibility. I mean, I saw Benfica put out a statement saying, oh, my God, we're so, we're so shocked to see what's happening at our rival sporting. Such a great institution. It's, it's a real shame. Piss What's off, happened. Benfica. It's a real shame. Seriously, like, piss off. That's that, you know, a, cer- right. a certain individual has... Anyway, uh, they, the little Aves managed to beat Sporting 2-1. And Bas Dost, uh, who was cut on the head in the attack, missed an open goal. Uh, he knocked one onto the bar from four yards with nobody in the way. Um, George Jesus allegedly headbutted in the attack. Uh, referred to the events of recent days as a horror film. He thanked the players for having the emotional capacity to play, but um, referred to Bastos' horror miss as an example of the state of mind of this team. So That's pretty understandable. Yeah, so the question is now how many of these players are still going to be there next season or next week. Well, presumably not very few of them next week because they'll all go on holidays, but how many of them will be coming back? That's indeterminate. I think they're all kind of hoping that President Bruno de Carvalho decides to step down. I'm not quite sure what the impeachment procedure is at Benfica, uh, but I'm not sure that Bruno de Carvalho is ready to do that. I think he still feels as though he's got unfinished business. (laughs) Unfinished business. That's boring business. The darkest hour is 
Just before the dog, Ken. That's what Bruno thinks. So congratulations to uh, Sean Kennedy, uh, Thomas Chamney. Oh, no, who else? There's a bunch of second captains listeners own who have Gavin Spring, who have uh, decided to bet on Aves. Some of them betting a lot of money, I have to say. I, You know, some stones out there, I have to say. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure I'd be betting a three-digit sum. Uh, based on let's, st- let's all keep it responsible for <laughs> based on a story that I told about Bruno de Carvalho. Uh, anyway, where are we? The FA Cup. Um, okay, the FA Cup. The situation is well. It's finished. It's finished with. That's what, I'll tell you what the situation is. Can Chelsea are champions once again? Uh, Eden Hazard winning the FA Cup for Chelsea, uh, scoring the penalty, also winning the penalty, bursting past Phil Jones in a possible preview of forthcoming. Kaliningrad attractions. Um, I don't know if both Jones and Hazard will make it to the pitch, but this is something we could be seeing uh, next month in the World Cup. Um, sensational, uh, sensational play by Hazard. They didn't really do a whole lot for the rest of the game. I mean, Mourinho's whole thing after the game was, well, I hope I'm going to be listening carefully and I'm going to be reading all the articles because I want to see if people are going to point out just how ultra-defensive Chelsea were. And nobody's really doing that because... Um, uh, well, there's there's more interesting stuff to talk about, such as Conte and his future. I mean, Conte actually said, he said some stuff about, it's like he was accepting that Chelsea's, um, Chelsea's approach was very defensive, but he said playing like this was the only way to lift a trophy. If you want to change, we can change our idea, but you must change many players, understand? Last season after we won the Premier League, we spoke with the club and tried to find the right way to defend our title. But, you know, sometimes it's not simple and you can't always have the same ambition. This season with myself, I've worked more than last season to overcome the difficulties. The mountain we had to climb was very high, very high, very high. But despite this, we lifted an important trophy. So, um, now it's interesting that he says that, I mean, that, that he's worked so hard and so on, because that's kind of been, especially in the second half of this season, the criticism of him has been that he didn't really appear to be working that hard or as hard as last season, or certainly that he'd lost at least some of the... Uh, joy that he appeared to be taking in his work uh, was nowhere near as kind of uh, effusive a presence during a lot of the games and was sour and and, uh, and kind of graceless in a lot of his, uh, not just when he was angry, you know, insulting Jose Mourinho and so on, but also insulting his own players, Ross Barkley, you know, generally speaking with contempt about situations when you're like, well, you know, you realize you're still the manager. You're not actually in the position of Paul Scholes. You know, when Paul Scholes can stand on the sideline and talk to BT Sport after the FA Cup final and say, they need a couple of magic players. Manchester United need magic. Yeah, and, and the host, Jake Humphrey, sort of tried to point out, they have signed quite a few of these players. You know, and he, like who? Sanchez? Like, he, he, you know, he's not. I'm thinking, <laughs> but Sanchez. What they sign, why they sign him? You know, Pogba. He said he mentioned Pogba as well. Scott's so goes, oh yeah, Pogba doesn't win you games on his own. Hazard <laughs> does, Messi does, Ronaldo does. I thought, well, it depends on the game, I suppose. I mean, Pogba did win them the Arsenal game away game and the Manchester City away game this season. Uh, I can't think of any other Manchester United player who's really delivered performances like that uh, in such games. I'm not going to say that he's been brilliant every week he has been left out sometimes but maybe he could have made the difference in a big game Marshall Marshall's another player who they spent a lot of money on as a young player and has occasionally showed that he he has a bit of magic in his boots mm. yeah, unfortunately yeah not, not enough maybe Rashford didn't Rashford win them the, the match against uh, 
Liverpool. I mean, his, the point is there are talented players there. The problem is that the talented players disappear or shrink. That's the problem. It's not that you don't have magic players. We need two or three magic. Well, two magical players. Skulls eventually settled on. You're like. Everyone wants two magical players, but you've got players all over the place who are really good and who can't seem to form into to coalesce into a coherent unit. This is the problem. Um, you know, I mean, who are they being linked with? We, we mentioned Willian. There's a, uh, you know, this this talk today. AC Milan reckon they've got they're going to get Fellaini. Now, I'm sure a lot of this. Most Manchester United fans, and I, I would agree with this section. Maybe I'm wrong about the most, but I would agree with those who think, thank God, you know, he he shouldn't be there to begin with. Him being in the team. There is an element with Vinny that uh, when all you have is a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail. Yeah. And I mean, Mourinho talked about him. Sorry, At I'm... least he fulfills his function, though. Yeah. We're talking about these other so-called magic players that don't produce magic. Nobody's accusing Marion, the, you know, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try and say it. Fellaini. Ryan the Belgian, with Delaney. The Belgian uh, uh, of I being a magical I d- player. I don't think it really does rhyme with, with Delaney. I think it's, I think it's probably... the pronunciation that we've settled on. Well, yeah, yeah, everyone seems to have settled on well, Mourinho, says, Mourinho says Fellaini, doesn't he? I think Mourinho okay, says. So See, think that's Mar- what I. That's kind of what I say, and then I, I get Mourinho pulled up on it, and then I get self-conscious. And now I got his first name wrong as well. So, uh, uh, but my point is, Marianne, he'll do his job. If everyone else can do their jobs as, as effectively as he does his, you know, despite yeah, the limited job, notions of his job, his job shouldn't be. Right. It's not a job that, that there's any need for. It's he's like it's like having a super efficient steam engine. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's it's like, like a, he's a it's Cooper. great. This is like a world class steam engine, but like, it's kind of irrelevant to what we're trying to achieve here. You know what I mean? At the sort of Formula One factory or whatever. This is just great, but the wrong kind of great. Uh, Mourinho was talking about his uh, his physicality. I mean, he, Mourinho's stuff afterwards was so... it was. I thought it was embarrassing. You know, here's this guy who's supposed to be a world-class operator. You know, fancies himself as the as the best manager ever. And he's talking about how it's impossible to play against the team with a low block, a few gaps, uh, much physicality, without a target man. I knew, I knew that we, I knew! How did you know? You don't know. You don't know. But he says, I, I knew, I knew that without a target man and without Fellaini, at least having him from coming from the second line, but attacking their line with his physicality. I'm like, what? Like, are you, you really should have become a rugby coach. This is rugby talk. You know what I mean? Physical. Chelsea, we know they're physical at the breakdown. You know? <laughs> we, we, you know you've got to go early. You've got to go early and hard into contact. You know, that's what it's about. Driving back the, across the game line. You've got to earn the right to play again. You've got yeah. to go back to the well, Owen. Yep. You've got to keep going back to the well, carry buckets of water forward, throw them in over Chelsea, and then hurl yourself on them and wrestle. This is, this is, <laughs> this is what we're hearing from the Manchester United manager. There are piano players and piano movers. What a load of absolute... Nonsense! This is, you know, he's got. He's like, oh, I knew, I knew we wouldn't. Without Fellaini, we've got no presence. Without Lukaku, we've got no presence. Like, what about the players that you do have? Stop talking about the players that you, that didn't play. I mean, Fellaini, or rather, Lukaku did play, uh, and and Mourinho afterwards was like, well, he told me he couldn't play. After that, the question is, how many minutes do you think you can manage? <laughs> Which okay, 
I guess he must have said 30 minutes. <laughs> I think I could do 30 minutes, boss. I don't know what I'll do if the match goes to extra time. <laughs> he didn't have to go to extra time as, as it is. But it seems as though he wanted to play, uh, Lukaku rather to play. I, I can see why Lukaku was more reluctant than usual to risk aggravating any little injury that he has. That's a completely understandable situation. Um it, with the World Cup coming up, although not one I think that Mourinho has much time for. But the question is, what you know? What are you going to do with the players that you do have? You know, Sanchez sort of playing on the wing. Why not play Sanchez? Sanchez is the most experienced player that you've got as playing as a as a centre forward here. Or if you know, if you don't have physicality, if you don't have a couple of six foot four inch guys to to lump the ball in in towards, then you have to do something else. So what are you going to do? Sanchez has played as a centre forward for. Arsenal. He's played as you know a false nine. He's a player who's he's got a lot of ability, a lot of experience. Are you telling me that you know he can He's he, you you know he can't do anything. Well, apparently you do. But I wonder how much of this sort of fatalism that Mourinho professes after the game is obvious to his players before the game. Is he standing there going, "Well, I know we're screwed because Romelu and and Marouane apparently can't play," so. I suppose, I guess, pick a couple of names out of the hat, Rasha, Alexi, whatever, you get on there and, you know, see what you do. It takes off Rashford, you know. But look, I mean, we're, we're talking about this again. It's just boring to talk about at this stage. You know, uh, people are already... That's oh, our last one of the season, Ken. Sorry. Yeah, and we won't have to talk. We won't have to talk about him for a while. Until he shows up on uh, Russia today. <laughs> yeah, but he'll be in his... <laughs> that could be funny. No, he'll be in his charming summertime mode then. I think he'll be, he'll be all good, all smiles. Yeah, Whereas we're all just a little bit Mourinho jaded. Come yeah, the end we of are. We are. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to not having to speak to him again for months. The, in terms of who they're looking for, um, one of the big targets, Milinkovic Savic, you could see um, not quite managing to qualify for the Champions League with Lazio yesterday. Uh, a powerful six foot two inch player known in his native Serbia as the Flea. Milinkovic Savic could uh, take, I don't know if he really is called the Flea, Owen, but the Serbs have a lot of big units, is what I'm trying to say, Owen. Um. <laughs> I thought he had an ironic nickname, like a dog, a massive dog called Tiny. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a bit like it's a bit like that. He is he, although I don't know. If, I think he is regarded as a bit of a yeah. of a luxury player right, in, right, in right. Serbia. Bit of a silky six foot two. Despite <laughs> despite his, uh, he, he's like that all black who's also a boxer. What's that guy? Sonny Bill Williams. Sonny he's, Bill he's that yeah. type of physique. This is what uh, this is what they're looking at. Mark Ogden, I see, had a piece uh, at ESPN where he he talks about something which I think is, you know, is is quite significant with with Man United, which is uh, the conference call Ed Woodward had a couple of weeks ago. With you know, they have the regular conference calls with the investors where they explain how much money they're making, and and he made uh, a quote, very simple and candid, unquote. Uh, statement that um, well playing performance doesn't really have a meaningful impact on what we can do in the commercial side of the business said Woodward announcing a predicting annual revenues of between 575 and 585 million and profits of 175 million Um, that is a remarkable level of profit that that Manchester United are making at the moment Um, and Ogden's point in this is essentially to say really you know is this are you sure that you can continue to have such a, enjoy this stupendous commercial advantage over all of the other clubs in England, even if you don't 
win? I mean, surely the reason for that advantage, having been built up over so many years, has been the success on the field. You know what I mean? It's, it, it has been based on the fact that for most of this time, Manchester United have been the best, have had the best team. You know, they've been the team that if you were getting into football, as people are all the time, that's the, the, the ones that you would be drawn to. Is that, is that the case at the moment? I mean, I, I'm not sure it really is. Not to the same extent, obviously, no. Although they are, you know, as, as Woodward points out, you know, the, after the first week, the YouTube channel went past the Dallas Cowboys, and after the second, it overtook the New York Yankees. It's bigger than any U.S. sports team's channel. <laughs> okay. Is it still bigger than Vin Diesel? Uh, I, I don't know. Vin, I don't know if Vin Diesel has a YouTube channel. But there's also this idea that, like, the YouTube... I mean, okay, we know what Manchester United are, are talking here about, like, global media reach. Mm. And, okay, that is an, an important idea. And it's, it's, it's a way of showing the scale of their success in the sort of marketing commercial side of things. But... You know, how do we know that YouTube channel subscriber numbers are going to be the gold standard for this coming year? You know what I mean? It's like it's a good thing at the moment, but is it is it a target that should be yeah, that even, is important? E- even that could be out of date within a short space of time. You don't know which which way it's going to go. I mean, the one thing oh, that's yeah. tell you one thing that's never going to go out of date, on good football, bloody trophy, goals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I feel as though United have it backwards because I remember again. I, I was talking about Richard Arnold, but saying my philosophy is the more successful I am off the field, the more successful I'll be on the field. And I, and the idea is, is, look, it's very simple here at Manchester United. We have this uh, big money-making marketing operation, very sophisticated operation, you know, like more than 100 employees. And it's all at the service of this football team. And everything we do is geared towards helping that football team be even better. But is it really? I... I'm not sure the connection is there. I'm not sure the con- the connection works, or if it. Certainly, you can say that the connection, in terms of the efficient transfer of resources from the marketing side to the football side, is not good. Well, by which I mean to say they waste tons of money. They waste money all the time. So even if you're making loads of money, it doesn't. It's not such a big advantage if you then squander it. That's definitely a problem. But the other problem is I'm not really sure how important the football team is. Why are they making profits of 175 million pounds? That's the, I would say that's the, the big question. 175 million pounds is so much profit. It's like more than, it's more money than they get from, from uh, TV. Mm. You know, it's more money than, than they get for Premier League TV, which is the major chunk of most clubs in the Premier League. Their, their, their entire revenue stream is, is, is mainly that. But with Man United, their profit margin is actually bigger than that. You could take away all that money and they're still making profit. Too much profit. Not too much profit if you own the club or shareholder in the club and the profits are actually going to you. But you're making, it looks as though the money you're making isn't really going into the football team at all. It's just a sort of a thing that exists off the back of the team. Well, Mourinho's had money to spend, has he not? And he's on a, he himself costs a lot of money to hire and the players all get ridiculous wages. It's not like we're in a Spurs situation where the players are looking at this and thinking we should be paid a lot more. Or, or do you think that could be the case? No, uh, I don't think I don't think it's it's the case generally at Man United because they because where could they get paid more, most of them? You know what I mean? Might get an extra. They are they are twenty th- grand here or there over across the city. I mean when when Sanchez signed, I think there was a few people saying, Oh, why is he getting so much? And there'll probably be more people saying that now. Oh, hang on, there's a big gap between what I'm getting in Sanchez and all he does is kind of walk around looking puzzled and sort of regretful. Um, but I just feel, okay, 175 million, great for the owners, but 
What, you know. what's, it, what's it all achieving? Well, it's it's clearly not designed to just go into the team. It's it's got some other. It's earmarked for some other purpose. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's 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 a private enterprise. You know, it's it's a money making company. There's nothing wrong with a company making profit for its owners. But let's drop the pretense that this is all in the service of making Manchester United as successful as they can be on the field. Because it looks to me as though they've got a bit of spare capacity that, uh, for some reason, they're not using. Anyway, um, enough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Iniesta, oh, and Iniesta. Ah, oh, we've all seen the photographs. It's a sad day. It's been 22 great years. A pride and pleasure to represent this badge. Thanks to all my teammates. I will miss you so much. Thank you, the fans. All you've made me feel since I came here as a boy. I leave as a man. You'll be in my heart forever. I think the nicest the club would be. I was. I read that quote. I was like, club would have been rather remiss in its duty of care to Andres Iniesta if he had left. If he joined the club as a boy and left the club still as a boy, aged 33 or whatever the hell age he is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's the sort of thing you say about a school, which is fair enough. You know, you go in at 13, you leave at 18. But if you leave, if you join at 11 and leave at 34, then, you know, I think the club could take a small bit of credit for that. But, yeah. I, you know, things Father exist time. outside of Barcelona, which may have had an impact. There's a nice tribute from Diego Godin. Iniesta is the most important player in the history of Spanish football. That is a pretty big shout. Everywhere he goes, in every field of Europe or Spain, people acclaim him. Generating that with the envy, jealousy, and rivalries that exist in football is priceless. It's something that no trophy or money can give you. Well, I think longevity and success will give you that. You know, lots of players do, I don't mean lots, a a tiny elite of players who manage to achieve that status. I'm thinking of players like... You know, Ryan Giggs getting, wasn't he applauded off at Bilbao? I remember they were like, oh, Giggsy. You know, they sort of appreciated, not like we watch this guy every week, but he is kind of a big deal in English football. Totty, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Stick around for a long time and win a lot of stuff. I guess he's saying he's the most important player in the history of Spanish football because he scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, That must be it. Uh, Sergio Ramos, you've made the battle more beautiful and football much bigger. He loves beautiful battles, uh, Sergio. Uh, but uh, maybe not on the same, quite the same vibe as everyone else was Ernesto Valverde, the Barcelona coach, where who was asked, should we retire the number eight in honor of Iniesta? There are a lot of great players in Barca's history. If they kept retiring numbers, there'd be no numbers left. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess not. I do agree with him, though, as well. Yeah, on the someone's, basis that, someone's finally talking some sense here. Yeah, I mean, what's wrong with someone else wearing the number that another that great player used to wear. I mean, it's kind of a nice thing, you know? The the What's what's wrong with sort of having a number which lo- lots of great players have worn? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea that somebody else should be able to wear it. It's just a nice... It's a very it's an American idea, really. It's, they, they, it's, they do that a lot in American sports. Yeah. Certainly used to. You can't retire number eight. It's too big. I mean, it's too... Important in the team. It's just one of the numbers. It's, it's a single-digit number. You can't retire a single-digit <laughs> number. Come on. Um, not certainly not just because a because a player retired after a long and glorious career. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not like a tragic circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Messi talking about Griezmann. Uh, it's obvious I would like it. He's one of the best players right now. I don't know if there's anything to the rumors, but we're always delighted when the best players come here. And Griezmann is one of the best. <laughs> Delight. For the Atletico Madrid supporters to hear this from from Lionel Messi, uh, it does look as though Griezmann is going. Although Diego Godin apparently was telling people he was going to stay, but so was PK telling people Neymar was going to stay. 
Diego Godin doesn't necessarily know. Uh, there was a link um, in the mirror of the weekend that uh, the person Diego Simeone wanted to replace Griezmann was none other than Jamie Vardy. Mm. He's going to replace Torres as well. Not that Torres has been playing too much, but Torres is, has also left Atletico. Um, Rafa Benitez claimed to be open to the idea of signing him. Yeah, well, we'll wait and see about that. But um, Jamie Vardy at Atletico would be quite interesting. I mean, in the one sense, you wonder, uh, you wonder if he would be interested in the idea of moving to, you know, this another league at this stage in his career. On the other hand, I think he'd be really good. Yeah. I mean, he's such a good player. Um, you know, culturally. Maybe not as maybe not hand in glove the way that Griezmann. I mean, Griezmann is French, but but might as well be Spanish. Um, Vardy is a bit more English on the field. Okay, and I think he's got quite a few Simeone attributes. He does. He's got he's got most of them really. Mm. Um, so yeah, that I th- penalty at four nil or whatever with Leicester were just about to win the league. And the goalkeeper is here. Remember that? Well, I'm, I've completely forgotten the game. But it utterly pointless row that he got into it with a goalkeeper who he then smashed a penalty pass and started mocking him. As oh, he, he ran right. off. Did, did he, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was That's the sort of Diego Simeone type behavior. That he would, they, would, they would love that at Atletico. Uh, I mean, I, I would, I'd like to see him go, actually. I'd like to see him try it because, I mean, Vardy obviously had the chance to move to a so-called big club after Leicester won the league and that Arsenal was the side him and he decided, nah, don't really fancy that um, for whatever reason, which seemed like a real, very unusual decision at the time. I mean, most players are just like, okay, I mean, I've just won the league with Leicester and while I love the boys here and the spirit and all that kind of thing, the fact is Arsenal are much bigger, they'll pay me more and this is what you do in football. You know what I mean? But Vardy obviously didn't think that way. I mean, clearly most players would be like, okay, well, I'm breaking the door down to get to Atletico Madrid. I mean, imagine Mares, you know, in this situation. But, although Mares may, may have the option to join Manchester City, which which maybe would be preferable even. But, um, I'm just not sure if if Vardy would be interested. A little bit of Jurgen Klopp? Do you want to start yeah. te- teeing up the Champions League build-up? Well, we'll he- be hearing plenty of Jurgen Klopp, um, I guess, this week. It's not that we go there, run like crazy, and have no clue how to defend. It won't be like that, promises Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> they were, he, he was, they've been in Marbella for the last few days. They're back uh, from there now. But there was a few different interviews uh, and so on. Klopp obviously saying, talking about the time they got destroyed by Sevilla a couple of years ago in the Europa League final. We were unlucky in that final. So Klopp also outclassed. He said, we didn't score in the first half often enough, and we didn't get a penalty. But in the second half, our legs were done. This time, the legs will be fine. After two weeks, the legs will be fine. That's a massive thing, having two weeks to prepare for this game. It's interesting the way Klopp is saying that. I'm not sure it is such a great advantage to have two whole weeks to prepare. You know, I think you're at the point there of, are we, is what we gain in rest time sort of, you know, do we also, the fact is that we're losing rhythm sort of all the time. You know, it's a while since they played. Mm. It's kind of like... You're, you might be giving away a little bit on that side for what you're getting in the not-so-fatigued side. Klopp, obviously, is concentrating on the positive aspect of it. Uh, says that we're not, um, we're not just, you know, it's just going to be amazing even just to meet Zidane. But, you know, we're not going there to swap shirts, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's, I suppose, we were talking a lot about this stuff this week. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for today's Report on Sport. Never forget the true nature of this city. 
Listen, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the dogs, the filth. Here is someone who stood up. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Dublin has kicked the shit out of the bike. There was a few minutes when I blithely believed that I lived in a civilized city. I arrived home. It was already dark. There was rain and mud everywhere. Oh my God, this town! So I thought to myself, no need to drag my bike through the house, given that all I'm doing is, you know, getting changed and getting my stuff and going to the pool. So I'll just leave it here beside the front door. Not on the street. I was in the house for probably for eight to ten minutes. What the fuck? I said, I don't know. I haven't put up like an agent. Just give me some. And there's nobody on the street. And it's dark. And there's not even any foot traffic. Open the door. Bike's gone. Oh my God, this town. It's actually been taken from outside my front door in an eight-minute period of being unguarded. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. This bike was given to me by my brother. Oh my God, this town. And I'm thinking, why? What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Never forget the true nature of this city. All right, Jonathan Wilson is ready to go. What a magnificent day to be English on Saturday, Jonathan. Harry, Megan, Gary Cahill lifting the FA Cup. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm overflowing with patriotic joy. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, it was one of the worst cup finals. And 20 miles to the west, one of the biggest wastes of public money in living memory. So, uh, yeah, that was great. We might focus more on the cup final then, Jonathan. And there are only so many things to say. About well, at least I watched that bit. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. You might be you might be fully informed on the royal wedding, but we might start with the aftermath because that's probably the most interesting at this stage. Is this is Antonio Conte the latest manager for whom an FA Cup triumph is going to signal a, a sacking from a major English club? Yeah, I think it is. And, and actually, if you look back at the list, it, it's remarkable. You're right back to. Um, Mourinho in 2007 and there's not a single manager who's won the FA Cup who's lasted in more than a year in the job other than Arsene Wenger who you know, won it three times in four years and then went within a year of the, of the third triumph so yeah winning the FA Cup really doesn't help your job prospects and yeah I mean Conte yeah it was very much a sort of okay come and sack me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk away you're gonna have to have to pay me off uh, but I, I think everybody expects that to happen in the next two or three weeks Although there is now this interesting dynamic of what's going on with, with Abramovich. The fact that, I and mean, I think it's, it's interesting that his, his visa has been denied, or has not been processed yet, so it hasn't been denied, but it has not been reissued. So he, he can't come back into Britain at the moment. Um, there was the, um, the Foreign Office, uh, Foreign Affairs Select Committee report uh, into you know, Russian corruption, money laundering, involvement in the city. Um, which is pretty damning. The language of that is is extraordinary. You're really sort of saying nothing's happened since people. We've got to we've got to be tougher on this. And then there's another fact which I, I don't think has really been mentioned. And I, I have to say I don't quite understand the logic of it, or I don't understand the significance of it. But it's something that feels significant, which is that about three months ago, Abramovich changed. Um, a, you know, a, a company's house. You have to have to list um, certain bits of personal information, one of which is your official residency. And Abramovich has, had been in Switzerland for years, and three months ago, he changed that to Russia. 
Now, I don't know what that means, but it feels like something's going on there. And I think that fits a sort of general narrative of Abramovich withdrawing from Chelsea. Uh, withdrawing from Chelsea, I mean, the, you know, there haven't there hasn't been any sort of talk of that yet. Not that Abramovich ever issues any talk about anything, but uh, <laughs> do you really think that the UK Foreign Office is about to bar Roman Abramovich from re-entry to the UK? I mean, he's incredibly rich, Jonathan. This would be extremely un-British. <laughs> yeah, it really would be. Um, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, if you'd asked me this time last week, I'd have said, no, of course not. This is just British bureaucracy being hopeless, which, you know, it has been uh, for several years. Um, and, and particularly issues of visas and, and residency and citizenship. Um, but that Foreign Affairs Select Committee report, um, you know, the, 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 the terms that was, um, that was dressed in, Okay, it's only a select committee. It doesn't necessarily have great power, but that the language used was was pretty tough. And if if that is followed through, then I think you will see a a, a further chilling of of Anglo-Russian relations. Um, and if Abramovich is denied a visa, um, given he's invested, I think, one point one seven billion pounds in Britain over the last uh, what fifteen years, or sorry, in Chelsea over the last fifteen years. Um, to, to do that just before the World Cup, I think, would be would be an extraordinary statement. What do you think? I mean, this is this is very hypothetical, but it is sort of an intriguing hypothetical. Everyone has got used to Chelsea being a dominant club in English football since two thousand and three. I think actually they're the most dominant club in that time, uh, although perhaps to a lesser degree in the last few years. But if their uh, sponsor and uh, guardian. Was to uh, was was to become a you know a, a non an unwelcome person in the UK. How do you think that would? Uh, what do you think their chances are of of sort of weathering that and continuing to be a club on the same sort of level? Well, I mean, it, it makes it very very difficult. I mean, I, I guess he would find. I was going to say he'd find a buyer quite easily, but maybe he wouldn't because Chelsea's situation with the stadium is obviously far from ideal at the moment. Um, particularly if um, Shahid Khan, the Fulham owner, ends up buying Wembley, and that then makes it much harder for Chelsea to to, to play at Wembley. Um, when while Stamford Bridge is redeveloped, which is a process we're told will take you know, four years, so it's it's not sort of it's not that you could you know, have one year of putting up with playing in I don't know you know Milton Keynes or something absurd like that. Four years is a long, long time. So that's a, a that's a huge issue. Whoever is in charge, and if Abramovich. It does withdraw. Well, you know, when I said withdrawal before, I, I didn't necessarily mean him sort of walking away from the club completely. But we've seen clearly there's been a change of financial approach in the last two or three years. That they're, they're much. There's been a process of retrenchment over transfers, and, and which has been problem, a problem for both Mourinho and, and then Conte, and they've both been frustrated by that that they haven't been able to go out and, and buy who they want. But it, you know, it sort of feels like that process is 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 being hastened. Um, and if he were to go, I mean, I guess it depends exactly what the nature of the money he's put into the club is, whether it's whether it's loans or whether whether it's it's been gifted. Um, but if Chelsea suddenly found themselves saddled with with huge debt, um, with a you have know, a stadium issue in a difficult place, then I, I think they're suddenly in a in a very very difficult position. Okay, so Antonio Conte almost certainly gone. Roman Abramovich, maybe a, certainly an outside chance that he might relinquish 
his control of the club. What about their star player, Eden Hazard? Jonathan, what's your feeling there? It seems like, in a lot of ways, Chelsea is the perfect size club for him. It's, it's one of the biggest clubs in England, no doubt. It's one of the biggest clubs in Europe. But it's not the biggest, and he gets a bit of a, maybe a bit of a free reign to produce when necessary to have some brilliant seasons absolutely amazing when he can win titles and then he can throw in the odd um, the odd quieter season where he just plays on certain big occasions like the FA Cup final is that actually is that the perfect club for him as opposed to going to somewhere like Real Madrid where he'd be expected to he just you can't take an off day really well I, I think again that that position has changed in the last year that there's been a lot of talk around as of you know, two or three years particularly that Real Madrid link and I've never sort of really felt there was much substance to it. That the impression you get from Azar from his father is that he, you know, he's quite happy in London. That, you know, he's quite happy with the situation there. Exactly as you say, that Chelsea is the right size club for him. But I, I, I think well, two things have happened. One is he's now 27, and I think there's a, a slight sense that he hasn't quite kicked on as he as it looked like he might have done a couple of years ago. Um, that he, he maybe still has another level to reach. And if you're not in the Champions League, at, you know, assuming 27, 28, 29, it's going to be the peak of his career, that that is a problem. And secondly, I think his rhetoric has changed in the last few months. Um, you know, he was saying before the Cup final that you know, his, he decided his future in the summer. And given the opportunity on Saturday you know, to sort of say, yes, of course, I'll be here next season. You know, how could I turn away from, from you know, these fans, this glory? He didn't take it. He he sort of left it open. So I think at the very least he's considering his future, and it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he were to move on. Um, if we talk for a bit about Manchester United, uh, Jose Mourinho was was kind of listing off the achievements, uh, which was a lot of second places after the game yesterday. Do you feel that this season, which has seen them improve uh, the points tally in the Premier League, improve the goal difference, move higher up the table from sixth to second, and not win anything? Do you feel that this has been a better season than last season? I think we'll judge that next season, which is, I guess, is a cowardly answer. But it, it, it's perfectly possible that history would view this as being a necessary transitional season. And say, oh yeah, they, they, they brought players in. The, the, the stars, I don't know if it has, but we, we, it would be argued that they become more cohesive. They've got more points. So, you know, they've, they've moved up the table. But I think it's equally possible that Mourinho could leave midway through next season there could be chaos and everybody will go it was just another another season of treading water post-Ferguson what, what do you think and, they're, they're transitioning towards though John this is the, this is the question I, I mean I, I feel that last season was probably a better season for them in the sense that it ended much better uh, there was a kind of a sense of optimism about what might now be possible and I kind of feel as though as though there isn't anymore yeah I, I know what you mean I think that that kind of is how I feel, but I'm also sort of cautious that have I have I just sort of let what's happened the last three or four weeks colour my judgment that yeah, they obviously sort of went off a boil, you know, the games against West Ham and Brighton, they didn't play well at all, but much changed team. They were pretty poor on I mean first half they were dreadful on Saturday, they picked up a bit in the second half. Um the, the minor excuse that Lukaku couldn't start the game. But you know, they have beaten each of the other five members of the big six this season. Uh, of course, you can count that by saying, yeah, but they've lost to all three promoted sides as well. Uh, in the really big games, so the first derby against City, the second leg of the Champions League against Sevilla, and then Saturday, if we still count the Cup as a as a big game rather than a prelude to a sacking, they've been pretty dreadful. So in the three biggest games, and that, that used to be Mourinho's yeah, great skill, was 
in the games that really mattered, his teams would would do it. Well, they haven't done it this season. And then related to that, he always wins the league in his second season. Well, well, he hasn't. And they're 19 points behind City. And I don't really think there's any reason for great confidence that we're going to get much closer next season. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that the point should be made that, that they've won most of their big games this season in the sense that they've beaten, you know, City, Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal. They've beaten everybody, but just not at the moment maybe when it really counted. But they have they have at least won those games, which they weren't uh, previously doing. But I don't really get the impression... When, when you talk about a, a team a, a team in transition or a team that's being built by a manager who's now been there two seasons, which is quite a long time. I mean, we're, we're into the second half of his... Of his reign, if it was to follow the patterns of, you know, well into the second half of, of, of his time there, if it's to follow the, the patterns of previous uh, appointments, and I, I still don't really get what he's trying to do. He started the the match uh, on Saturday with an all Ferguson defence, which is something that's happened a lot. Um, you know, they they haven't somehow managed to update that at all since you know all these players are signed by Alex Ferguson. Mourinho has signed defenders like uh, Lindelof, like uh, Bailly, but he's not using them. You know, up front, his his big signing of the season in an attacking sense has been to buy a, a left sided forward when he already had two. And he tells us after the game, it's impossible to to win a match like this without a target man. Why didn't he buy Giroud then instead of Sanchez if it was so essential to have a target man? He's already got left wingers all over the place. Why is he buying a third left winger on apparently the highest wage in the league? I mean, it doesn't really look like a very carefully thought out plan. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, my one caveat about that is I think you can pretty much say that happened to Real Madrid and he kind of was successful in the uh, second season there. There was all the background noise. There's a lot of strange signings. Um, but yeah, if, if, you, if you're sort of looking at it um, and sort of leaving aside the fact this is Jose Mourinho who does slightly weird things with conflict going on. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the Lindelof deal, I mean, he was what, 30 million? And mm. yeah, I, I, I don't understand how in one breath Mourinho can turn around and go, this is disgraceful, you've spent £50 million on a fullback. Well, at least that fullback, Carl Walker, at least he played, at least he had, a, he had a really good season. I'd rather spend £50 million on a fullback who plays pretty much every week and is likely to be one of England's best players at the World Cup than paying £30 million for a centre-back who never gets a game. The Bay situation I find really odd, because I think Bay actually, certainly first half of the season, played pretty well. Um, I think he's a better a better footballer than either Jones or Smalling. He's certainly quicker. Um, I maybe maybe there's a sense that the Jones and Smalling are quite a good partnership. I, I sort of have a certain sympathy to that. But there does seem to be a sort of conscious freezing out of Bay. Um, there's obviously the whole Luke Shaw situation of, of Luke Shaw being this sort of terrible punch bag for, for Mourinho. Um, and then there's there's Rashford and Martial, two players who. I guess with two of the few bright spots on the Van Hal who who seem to have been entirely lost. And Sanchez, you know, as you say, seems to replicate their role. So, um, there's, yeah, there's something odd about the composition of this squad. And I think you'd also you'd also look at the midfield and, and say, well, is Herrera, for all that he embodies a sort of Mourinho vision of the world, is he really going to be one of your starting midfielders if you want to win the Premier League, want to win the Champions League? He, you know, it doesn't seem to me he's 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 the player who starts alongside Madic and, and Pogba. So 
yeah, it's, I think it's a, a very strangely constructed squad. But again, that's something that um, I think United have been guilty of really since Ferguson left. There's been some some really odd signings here we didn't didn't really need. So, so you know, one matter I think you know fine player that he is. I don't really think he's ever had a role in this United squad. He was brought in for you know, 35 million at a time when they just didn't need him. It was just oh, we can get him, and he you know he's a player we've heard of. And it, it, you know, Ed Woodward seems to. You know, there's almost sort of a uh, he's acting like a like a nouveau riche owner. He's just sort of oh, brilliant! We can buy him. Oh, we can get him. Oh, we'll get him. And there is no cohesive plan. So yeah, I think that's another another major concern. Jonathan, just while we have you, uh, Andres Iniesta played his last game for Barcelona at the weekend. Your thoughts on this great player of European football? There seems to be two camps on Iniesta: those who see him as a sort of a footballing angel. I'm in that camp, by the way. And those who think, like Ken Early here, that oh, don't, don't, don't put words in my mouth. You don't. think he's overrated? You've said it before. Don't put words. Don't put words in my mouth. So Ken thinks he's overrated. Um, Fifty-seven goals in six hundred and seventy-four games. As Ken said to me off air, that's like a decent season for Leo Messi over the course of an entire career for Andres Iniesta. Which camp are you in, Jonathan? Um, somewhere in between. Um, yeah, I, I think he's he's been a great player for both Barcelona and Spain. And let's not forget that among those 57 goals was probably the most important one in in the last sort of, I don't know, 30 years of Barcelona history. The, the, you know, the, the late winner at Chelsea in, in, in the 2008 semi-final. And without that, uh, sorry, 2009 semi-final. And, and without that, um, you know, Pep's first season wouldn't have been crowned with the Champions League. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure how good he'd have been at a different club. He was in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. And of course that makes sense because he was, you know, he grew up there. He, of course, he was going to play that way. Um, but his skills were the perfect fit for for that team. And I suspect, had he had he moved to Jason Mourinho's Manchester United, he he would not have succeeded. <laughs> well, I think that's probably fair to say, Jonathan. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks. He agrees with plenty, just it's always who's saying it, it's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this, and 10% is what are they actually saying. So the 90% in Giles' case is, oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this uh, opinion of Guardiola, doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early, but yeah. you know, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, what can you, what can you do? You can please everyone. Sort of three possible exits from Stamford Bridge we talked about there, Ken. Mm. Hazard, mm. Conte, and Abramovich. Yes. Which one would have the biggest impact? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think Roman Abramovich's exit would, uh, would be a big deal. I mean, I'm just talking about that Russia's corruption in Russian corruption in the UK. Moscow's gold. This is a parliamentary report. I think Jonathan was talking about the use of London as a base for the corrupt assets of Kremlin-connected individuals is now clearly linked to a wider Russian strategy and has implications for our national security. Combating it should be a major UK foreign policy priority. Hmm. 
The assets stored in London and London both directly and indirectly support President Putin's campaign to support subvert the international rules-based system, undermine our allies, and erode the mutually reinforcing international networks that support UK foreign policy. The size of London's financial markets and their importance to Russian investors gives the UK considerable leverage over the Kremlin, but turning a blind eye to London's role in hiding the proceeds of Kremlin-connected corruption risks signalling that the UK is not serious about confronting the full spectrum of President Putin's offensive measures. Mm. So that was like the first, that's the first paragraph of their conclusion and recommendations. Hmm. So, I mean, is, is Roman Abramovich a, a Kremlin-connected individual? Clearly, yes. He uh, is the one of the richest men in, in Russia. Uh, he's frequently back there at meetings. Um, I think he lives on the same street as the Russian embassy in London. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, he is a... Kremlin connected individual in in that is he somebody who has spoken on many occasions with the Russian president yes has he spoken with Theresa May I don't know maybe <laughs> has he spoken with Donald Trump yeah I'd say so I mean definitely his now ex-wife hung was hanging out a lot with um, Ivanka Trump uh, recently there's loads of photos of them together at various events Dasha Zhukova he's got lots of connections uh, it would be Really out of character, as I was saying to Jonathan, for, for the British government to suddenly turn around to a billionaire, a foreign billionaire, and say, you're not welcome here anymore. I mean, that's just, that's a radical change in attitude. And I don't know, if you're asking me, Owen, if I was to, if I had to bet one way or the other, I would say they're not ready for this. They're not ready for a radical personality transformation like that. They are not about to go around, turn around to a guy with eight billion in assets and say, you can't come here anymore. But... Maybe I'm about to be proven wrong on. That's it for today's Second Campus Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow if you're signed up to the World Service. Thanks a million, Kieran. Thanks a million, Ken. Thank you all. Thank, thank you, you all. Thank you, Kieran. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.